space-time, the ever-expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission, to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Temporal Trek Podcast. It's almost like we were just recording two seconds ago. Um, we are in Chronodate, Season 3, Episode 29 of the podcast, and Season 2, Episode 3 of Enterprise, and it is Minefield, or what I'm sort of dubbing as Part 1 of the Battle Damage uh, two-parter, uh, because this episode will directly lead into the next episode of Dead Stop. So it's sort of an unofficial two-parter. There's like elements that could cross over. We're starting at zero minutes, zero seconds, but I'm not alone. I'm just going to bring him up on the device. Paul, are you there? Yeah, yes, I'm here. Sorry, I was just, just eating a sandwich. Um, <laughs> and these peanuts that you, you've uh, dropped in are very nice as well. This waiting room is getting much better, I must say. Comfier seats now as well. Uh, have you increased the budget for your podcast? Yeah, it's a great budget. Well, you know, uh, Dan's not with us, my co-host. Uh, so the saving on the salary, because it is, you know, um, it's a zero hours contract. So you only get paid for what you work and he's mm. not here. So that can be ferried into, you know, the snacks and, and beverages over in the waiting room. So excellent. Yes, yes. Your hospitality suite is much better. The green room is looking really good. How's that for continuity? eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's almost like we're recording in the same day. Uh, how are you, Paul? Remind the listeners uh, where they can find you. I'm fine, thanks, Dan. Yep, um, all good. Nothing's happened in the last uh, week or fifteen minutes uh, since the uh, the last uh, time I was on. So uh, yeah, yeah, all good. All good. So there's uh, there's nothing to uh, disrupt your week, like a, a minefield of bad energy, and that's the best segue I can think of. Um, but um, we're going into minefield. Uh, thoughts generally on the episode? Uh, is it one that sticks in the old memory banks? Yes, it is. Um, it's one, one of the reasons why I, I asked if I could come on to this particular episode. Um, I did remember it originally, so it's obviously stuck in the brain. Um, and when I watched it again, I, it sort of reminded me why I liked it in the first place. It's a, it's a good good episode. Um, we mentioned just before recording uh, that you, you saw it as sort of the, the shuttle pod one of season two. You know, there are a lot of similarities in the pacing of the episode. Um, any thoughts on that? Yes, that's right. I did say that. Um, it it did remind me as as we were going through it, and we'll we'll get into it um, later in the podcast. But um, very much a similar sort of story. But you know, the, he's, uh, Reed is trapped. He uh, spills all of his guts out to the uh, the person who's with him. This happens to be the captain this this time round, and not uh, Trip the first time round. Um, but we do find out a lot more backstory, and uh, and you know we it, we. The, the character is uh, fleshed out a bit more, although it is pretty much the same as last time. Uh, but I do like it, and I, I, you know, it's um, it's a good episode. Even though Malcolm does seem to like to uh, try and kill himself at every uh, opportunity. <laughs> no, no, leave me alone. I'll die here. He's so desperate to die. I, I don't yes. think I would want to be working with him at any point. Just oh, I've got a shift with him again. Oh God, he tries to kill himself every single time. Um, yeah, this one, it stays with me because it's the Romulans, we get the minefield, which is titular, uh, but, you know, 
I, I remember like the tech sticking onto the enterprise and like the the drama of it and things like that um and yeah the the sight of a romulan warbird um was just something that just got stuck in the brain it just sort of seared its way into the memory banks so i always remember this episode but there are bits and pieces that i didn't remember until re-watching it for this podcast um with that we'll go straight in um Reed is looking very nervous. He's sort of pulling at his, his collar. He's readjusting it and uh, he's looking at a data pad. He's walking through the main mess hall towards the captain's mess. And um, it's the most awkward dinner conversation I think you could ever imagine. Um, you know, are you into football? No, I don't follow football, sir. I mean, that's one. That's very unbelievable. I can take warp fields. I can take aliens. I can take slug monsters that turn into women. Uh, you know, anything that we've seen from season one. But an, an Englishman who doesn't like football, I don't like football. But they found the only one to serve on the only starship in Starfleet that can go at warp five. I mean, that's pretty unlucky, isn't it, for for Archer? I know it was a, it was a very poor uh, choice of, of opening gambits, wasn't it? Oh, I believe England have got it through. Got through to the World <laughs> Cup final. <laughs> I mean that. I mean, I must admit, when I first watched that, believable. And, when was this? Two thousand? When it came out? Two thousand one? Two thousand two. Two. No, come on, England in the World Cup final. Come on. <laughs> but they just made the Euro finals recently, so oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, it's, it's not as impossible as I thought. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it doesn't sound so stupid anymore. Just about twenty years out, it's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, were they? I mean, again, I am not into football. I have no idea what football is, other than there is a ball and some goals involved. Um, did they get to the final? Was this like a, a prophecy or anything? The, the it was the Euros, wasn't it? It was the European Cup. So all right. the European teams that played together, uh, England got through to the final, and they were beaten uh, by Italy. Uh, so uh, yes, it was a th- you know a good run. Could have won. Uh, so it was all it was all there for the taking, but hmm. the first time since we'd met, you know, the 1966 when we made the World Cup final then. So it has happened before. It's not impossible. It's just highly improbable. But this time around, <laughs> at the end of 2022, we get the the, the next World Cup. Um, so uh, it's a possibility we could we could get there again. You never know. Or we might have to wait until 2151 or 52 to <laughs> get into it. <laughs> the final. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's all manner of like alien species involved in this now. You know, there are human teams, yep. but there's like the human and octopus. alien teams. Yeah, exactly. I'd all, octopus goalkeeper. Yeah. I'd basically want that scene from Bedknobs and Broomsticks, <laughs> where it's all the animals playing, and I just want to see aliens instead. Uh, yeah, you know, it'd be fun. Yeah, you could always uh, do with a rhino up front. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> there's, I was, it did make me wonder what sport would he like. I mean, he said that he didn't really follow sports, but I find it hard to believe. I, I'm surprised he didn't step in and say, I, 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 oh, no, I prefer cricket or you know, or rugby, maybe, but cricket, probably. Um, I think they missed a trick there. He said, oh, well, I do like cricket so, or something like that. You know, that's a bit more understandable for his sort of class of, of where he is. And, and you know, um, or, or maybe just some sort of bar games, you know, like uh, Beer pong or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I know we had darts in DS9, so that's already been kind of taken as a character trait. But he's, you know, a navy man from a navy tradition. Um, he, 
Yeah, he could be into quoits. He could be into uckers. Uh, if anyone knows what uckers is, it's like Ludo, but with insanely difficult rules that the Navy do play. Uh, and it's one of the most popular games. Uh, now, it's a very popular game on submarines because sometimes they play for their bunk position yeah, through playing uckers. And given that we get submarines mentioned in this episode, maybe, you know, someone just do a little bit of research on naval history. There we go. Um, just, uh, yeah, Star Trek writers, come down to Chasm Dockyards. There we go. Yay! Um, uh, but it's not long after that that uh, this awkwardness sort of gets interrupted. Uh, he's handing over data pads and he wants to do his homework at the dinner table. Archer kind of makes fun of him, but he still doesn't get the joke. Fortunately, they get interrupted because some scans have picked up a Minshara-class planet, so they're off to investigate. And no sooner have they detected it, and boom! Uh, going over to uh, Epsilon 3 and uh, uh, our favourite character, Ivanova, who loves a good boom every now and then. It wasn't long till the boom came. Boom! No boom today, boom tomorrow. Boom! There's always There's boom. always boom. Boom! <laughs> boom! Later. boom! Uh, we had the credits and we find out it's a thermokinetic explosion. Uh, thermokinetic in space kind of sounds like a waste of energy there. Thermokinetic, that's heat and mm. movement. Uh, movement, heat movement. Okay. Hmm. Very, very strange. Just the movement alone would be enough, surely. Um, why it had to be thermokinetic? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Maybe it just sounds dangerous. I don't know. Um, C deck and D deck get ripped apart, and I really enjoyed that sort of CGI aspect of it. We saw some real damage happening to the ship. Um, it's not sort of suggested, and there's not sparks on the bridge and some rocks flying out inexplicably from somewhere. Um, we really got to see some battle damage to the Enterprise, um, but weirdly, no fatalities. It's amazing that, like, the worst fatality that's first worst fatality, the worst injury seemed to be uh, Hoshi, and she yeah. was on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> nowhere near c deck or d deck yeah. there we go yeah. yeah it's amazing when you see there's a huge chunk of the of the um uh the the, the, the outer hull that's gone missing i was surprised that nobody had gone because surely that mm. must have been a crew quarter sort of area mm. i seem to remember like a hazy memory of an interview with um scott Bakula. And he was adamant to push that no one had died in at least season one or at least uh, up to early season two because he didn't think it was believable that they would continue the mission if too many people died. Mm. He didn't want to fall into that red shirt trap too quickly um, so that when the first death properly takes place on board, it meant something. And I was wondering if this was one of those episodes where he had to sort of push back and say, actually, no one should die. Um but do you think that's a good call? Was that the right thing? Or should they have made space a bit more dangerous? Um, I, certainly whilst you're in space, um, it's, it's quite a dangerous thing anyway, isn't it, to be out there and, and you know, moving through space at those sort of speeds and physical bits and pieces of rocks and things could even hit you. Um, but really, it's only like first contact situations and what have you. Mm. So I suppose it's, it's a lot like um, Captain Cook you know, going around the world and the voyage itself was pretty dangerous. You know, you could, the ship could sink at any time, and you would always mm. lose a few people at some point, you know, overboard or through scurvy or whatever. Mm. Um, and then when you get to uh, wherever it is that you're going to land, you've got all the, the natives there who are not happy, too happy to see you or are happy to see you but kill you anyway. So, yeah, it is dangerous, but it never stopped anybody going. Mm. It's it's always been something that's called out in Star Trek. Oh, you know, I joined up Starfleet knowing that the dangers or space is a dangerous place. Um, 
I wondered if if they'd set that precedent early in Star Trek Enterprise that we would have seen how dangerous it could be, but they carried on anyway. You know, it not in a foolhardy way of like, oh, let's just forget that death and move on. They actually, you know, really felt the the pressure of it and realized that they need to get it right all the time to save lives. Um, I don't know, it would have lent weight to all the future times I'm about to see that that phrase come in, you know, the dangerous of being in Starfleet. Sick Bay is under stress. We actually do get some sort of shaky cam footage where, you know, everyone's being dragged in and he's, uh, uh, Flox is in there like, checking concussions and whatnot. Uh, we're back to the bridge. Travis has been given something else to do again. He's using the camera. He's using the, uh, the little attachment that we've got from Shockwave. Uh, now, I sort of called this part one of a two-parter, the battle damage two-parter. Should it be part three of the Shockwave quadrology? Because there is a tie-in. If you don't watch Shockwave, you don't really get that they've got this ability to see the cloaking device. Um, any thoughts? Mm. I did, no, I don't, I don't think there's there, um, almost sequels or even like trilogies, quadrilogies, or whatever. Uh, but mm. It's nice to see that something is following through episode by episode, even if it's not you know, it's not an arc as such. You know, there's no. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of season-long arcs, but I do like the idea that you are trying to do something over that period of time, or that something appears in one, it appears in the next, um, rather than just being episodic and saying, "Hey, we found this in one episode," and then you don't see it again for a long time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's. I, I like it. It's it's moving through nicely. It's not a, an mm. obvious. We we need. We've got this in the first one because we're going to need it in the fourth one. Mm. There were there were some great scenes in Shockwave where they worked out they were being tailed by the Sulaban because their warp field destabilized. Well, they'd learned that from the Zerillians just you know eight episodes before, and seeing this sort of this technology carrying on, it kind of put me in mind of Stargate. You know, when they find something in episode two, and then they realize, I mean, it remember that thing we did like last week? We could do that again and try and this way and they were always referencing technology they'd pick up along the way partly because that was sort of built into the concept of the show that they were trying to find alien technology to defend earth um but i like that enterprise was also kind of doing that you know without realizing uh, they just knew that they had this ability so they've used it again they decloak um all of the mines but archer does say i've never known a minefield with just two mines so they turn the camera around and realize there's a heck of a lot more um they are tricobalt mines, uh, not just thermokinetic, tricobalt, uh, just to make it sound a little bit more dangerous. It's, it's more uh, dangerous than bicobalt, obviously. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why one more? Um, uh, the reed suiting up sequence. It kind of felt like, you know, it should have had like some heavy metal doo -doo -doo -doo, as he's like picking up the phaser, picking up the helmet. He's plugging in the things like doo -doo -doo -doo, should like samurai swords coming out the back. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know. The they, old, you know, Lock and load. <laughs> He's going to blow the mine off the side. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he wants to fire at something, so therefore he should have done that. Um, it yeah, does that, make me think that field is mine. <laughs> <laughs> he had a phase pistol. He could have cut it off the right, off the hull. You know, he just cut yeah. around the actual mine. It would have been fine. Um, yeah, but, but Reed wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. <laughs> It's now that we kind of move into the action sequence, which kind of takes over the whole episode. Like, as we were saying before, with Shot Pull 1, it was very close, it was very contained, and we're just really in one place. And this, although it goes between the bridge 
sick bay a little bit with Hoshi and the minefield, the action kind of just keeps going after this point. We've just run into the mine. We've now got a kind of um, all the scenes where Reed is giving updates, very dry updates. It's like, yes, it's got this, it's got that. Uh, there's a leg jutting out onto the, the deck plating. Um, but it's kind of ramping up the tension very slowly. It's not uh, too in your face. It's not, you know, it's not a discovery way of doing things where they're just throwing things at your eyeballs every five seconds. But there's enough tension building through the episode. That was for me. I don't know how you felt about it. Uh, this is why I said it was very similar to uh, Shuttlepod One. Uh, in Shuttlepod One, obviously, we had a you know they were trapped. They had no propulsion. There was a bit, a bit of jeopardy there, and then the oxygen is depleted, and then there's more jeopardy there. And this is what we were getting with this. It was it's not just bad enough to have a mine on the side of your ship. You know, you're in a minefield as well. Mm-hmm. You've then got the Romulans come up and saying you have to leave because you are spies. Yeah, all right, we're trying to go. We're trying to go. You know, cut that man off and throw him away. And you know, no, 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 we're good. We're, good, we're, good, we're still we're stuck with it. We stick with it. You know, next minute, Reed's pulling his oxygen pipes out and all sorts of things. Even more, he doesn't like oxygen, does he? Basically, no, he yeah, really he doesn't. doesn't like oxygen. Yeah, do without this. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, so, you know, there's just... still a congestion charge around London. So you know, we don't like anything that isn't polluted air. So you know, pure <laughs> oxygen. Psh, nah, don't have that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it is very similar. We have to raise the stakes. We have to make it, put a time limit on it, put a time limit on it. Right, okay, we've only got so much time to do this. Um, Mm. So it was a similar, very similar sort of, um, similar setup. Mm. And then uh, I like that there there is this going on and Reed is is sort of trusted to do the job, but Archer is already doubting his skills and saying, (laughs) I don't think he can do it. And he hasn't given him the full report yet. He just... (laughs) I don't think he's going to get this done. Uh, could you maybe take the plating off trip and just, you know, float him off? Um, but I did like the fact that there are multiple plans going on at the same time. Uh, this is something that Dan's mentioned in previous episodes as well. And he probably would have brought it up here as well, that it's not just waiting for one plan to fail. And then you start the next one. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got something going on. Um, Hoshi is kind of pushing herself too much. She's got this concussion, but she wants to help out. So Flox agrees to have the comms records sent to her. So she's going to decipher whilst Trip is doing this um, you know, special plan with floating the mine away as Reed is still doing his uh, his thing, his disarmaments. Um, uh, it did make me think that, you know, if he just pulled in Lieutenant Hess, maybe she could have helped him out and uh, she probably would have cut it off in a lot less time than uh, than Trip did. You know, uh, Trip's just too busy doing other stuff. Um, I don't know what, but there we go. Um, it, given like he's got a whole team, why would it take him so long to remove one plate off the side of the of the ship? He compares it to uh, Triton class spatial torpedoes. Oh, I want to see them that he's been <laughs> diffusing these. It does kind of fit in with his character, though, that he plays around with uh, Triton-class spatial torpedoes in his spare time. He's deactivated 12, a dozen um, of these, you know, maybe just in his spare time. Maybe that's what yeah. he's doing in his, his locker the whole time. That's right. That's, he's got them in his, in his room, yeah. <laughs> Most people play Sudoku or, or something along those lines, you know, do crosswords and things. He, he tries to defuse a mine in his room. <laughs> That's why he's not hitting up with anyone. He, you know, any uh, of the female crew members he does fraternise with, he brings them back to the quarters. It's like, do you want to, uh, you know, defuse a mine? Yeah, come on. <laughs> yes. just, What's um, that noise? <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing. But we need to speed things up. 
his favorite one is the one that gives out a gas it smells to high of heaven he calls it stinky and that's where it came from in the if you want another callback to shuttle pod one i don't know um but uh this is where the arm comes out and he's doing something to the torpedo and it goes straight through his leg i mean that is good aim for a mine isn't it i mean i didn't see any cameras or anything like that hit aimed straight through his leg um just really bad timing um the piercing, suit piercing the suit <laughs> yeah the pierce the suit yeah um it's not only pierced it but it sort of it flooded with this white goo which kind of looked like mashed potato so yet another callback to shuttle pod one maybe i don't know he he, he insisted the suits be filled with mashed potato just on the off chance yeah. i don't know <laughs> guess he felt a little hungry it's a great valve sealant so there we go yeah. um but again, as we've been saying, the, the tension ramps up. It's kind of difficult to really go from scene to scene here because everything kind of plays into itself. The Romulans turning up. Now, I want to talk about sort of continuity here. Do you think it was a good thing to bring the Romulans in so early to Enterprise or should they have kept them and maybe just had this minefield as an unknown element? Um, the, the problem I have with Romulans is there isn't enough of them in Star Trek in total i think they were a much better um alien race they used their guile more than they used the weapons um mm. and therefore i think would have been a better um foil for various captains um so to, i mean this is the second season but i don't think it's too early or so we haven't seen them in the first season uh, what does annoy me slightly is okay. We don't see we and we don't see them as such, which is great because mm. that has to be, mm. that has to be the way because we don't see them until um, the the original series. Um, but what I do like, uh, what I didn't like, is the voice didn't mm. sound Romulan enough, and I've no idea what I mean by that. I don't know what a Romulan should sound like, but it just didn't seem right. It didn't seem enough Mark Leonard or enough. Um, Whoever else played Romulans, the general you know, next person who comes along plays yeah. Romulan. Mm. Um, it just didn't sound right somehow. I had it uh, in my notes, uh, Hick Romulans, because it's like, <laughs> you need to get out of our backyard. <laughs> and I was wondering, just let Trip talk to him. It kind of sounded <laughs> the same. Uh, not that yeah. far. Maybe Floridian Romulans. I don't know. Um, but we, yeah, they, they seem pretty lax. Pan fried catfish. <laughs> I like these people already. Um, <laughs> Uh, we then go over to Hoshi and she's deciphering the language. And T'Pol is the first person to see the language, but she couldn't recognize it. Uh, now, what we know of Romulans, what will come up in the history, and what we've already seen on the podcast where we went back in time a few thousand years and we saw um, Sarek of Vulcan talking about the splitting from the, the Vulcan homeworld. Um, the Romulans are Vulcans. The language couldn't be that dissimilar in just 2,000 years. Or maybe they're, because they are the Floridian Romulans, they're from a different continent, they have a completely different language to most Romulans. Um, why would T'Pol struggle deciphering the language when Hoshi didn't? Because uh, if you live in England, you know, or even in the UK, you know that you only have to go 45 minutes and straight away <laughs> the accent and dialect has changed. The in fact, that goes as far as to say the language has changed, especially if you live near Wales or Scotland, um, and you call a bread roll something totally different, but that's another story. Um, it's, yeah, no, I, I can understand that. I mean, even in our own country, we can't understand our our own language when it's spoken to us from a Geordie or from a Brummie. Um, it's, it, Ooh, it doesn't Brummy surprise Vulcans. me. Yeah. <laughs> 
we never lie. Um, so... Get away from a minefield. Get out of there. <laughs> that's the first time I've heard a Scouse Brummie. There you go. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why the Romulans are so hard to decipher. They're a profusion that's of That's right, things. yeah, you see. I mean, if you try writing Welsh, I mean, it's just like take all the, all the vowels out for a start um, and then put more L's in. It, it's just... Um, yeah, I can understand why they might not understand it. It's even on, like I say, on our own world, because this this is one of the strange things about most TV series, to most science fiction shows, is that one world has one group of people on it. Obviously, on our world, we have different races that have different languages, that have different you know, species, if you like, that have different languages, look different, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for some reason, all Klingons look the same and all Vonklins look the same. Um, so uh, I, I don't understand why we don't have more you know, different species on different planets, if you like. Mm. Uh, on Earth, we've got different races. We can't communicate with each other unless we help find a common language. Um, so, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me that you know the, the Vulcans might not know what the language is because is as you say if they split away it could have been that they moved to a different continent to start with until they could move into space and then moved away from there so by mm. that time they might have already lost the, the common language and then moved into their own their own dialects very true yep and uh, all, all things that I, I was considering as well that you know it, we just happen to have the one cruiser that has a crew that has a dialect that's so different from everyone else so um yeah perfect speaking of not really seeing eye to eye or having the same kind of language um we get archer and we get reed and their different approaches to how they see the ship being run it's almost like they're speaking two different languages to each other um archer on one hand is papa archer and this is something we mentioned in previous episodes again that the one consistent thing about his character when he's dealing with everyone else he completely changes episode to episode but when he's talking about the crew He's much more familial. He's much more lax. Um, he's much more willing to entertain people's suggestions. And Reed just finds it so abhorrent. He doesn't want to listen to dissent on the bridge. What you say goes, sir. You are supposed to tell us what we're supposed to do. Um, pip, pip, tirio, tell us what to do, sir. Um, uh, three bags full, sir. Um, we even get a Dickens reference. Please, sir, can I have some more when he injects him with some drugs? I mean, could you get more British? Um, have they have they ramped up the British another 100% from Shuttlepod 1? They've continued it, certainly. Yeah. Can I have some more, sir? <laughs> Please, sir. Please, sir, can I have some more? Have um, you turned around and just gone, Oliver, Oliver, never before has a boy asked for more. <laughs> He's Ollie Reed. Oh my God! It's the reincarnation of Ollie Reed. Reed. <laughs> now tell somebody who didn't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! If Oliver Reed had been an Enterprise, that would be awesome. Um, he's just spoiling for a fight. You know, there's none of this pip pip. So it's like I'm not listening to you. I'm going to fight you. There's, oh, there's somebody we should. Keep have your Remember when we did our, our Cosmic Pizza and we did a recast of Star Trek, Ooh, which I yeah. believe is coming, is coming out at some point soon, or maybe probably by this, mm. the time this releases, it's already been out. Um, episode 46 or 47, mm-hmm. or somewhere around there. Um, and we recast the original series of Star Trek. Uh, Harry Mudd, Oliver Reed. Oh, oh, what a choice. That would be awesome. Especially if he had a little dog called Bullseye. That would be brilliant. <laughs> Bullseye! <laughs> I'm going to take you out, Captain Kirk. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna wring your scrawny little neck. Um, oh yeah, I want to see that now. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Reed is insisting that we have to have security protocols, and he, he's kind of pushing that he wants kind of a big brother on the ship. And Archer is always pushing back. Now, this is one of those things that we've seen in previous episodes where they're alluding to conversations that we've never seen before. Um, they've been talking about security protocols in between episodes. Maybe this is the missing March episode that we were talking about. Um, uh, this is just a lot of meetings between Reed and Archer about can we put some security cameras in the corridors? Maybe. Yeah, that's it. It was not going to make a good episode, that was it. No, it really wasn't. CCTV Enterprise. CCTV. <laughs> uh, um, we then find out why he's always trying to be a hero, why he's trying to sacrifice himself. We learn the backstory of his great uncle and the HMS Clement. And um, the, the HMS Clement was a real ship back in uh, World War Two. It was sunk by the Graf Spee, the German um, uh, boat, uh, the destroyer. And um, he uh, sort of has a link to all of this uh, and he wants he, to live up to the legacy of his great uncle who also had a fear of drowning just like reed so instead of serving in the water he served in space so that he didn't drown it's pretty good good going he's not going to likely to drown is he in space unless they find a massive water planet um i would like to see that episode where they do find the water planet he's like uh, sir can i not go on that way away team please star trek does water world <laughs> <laughs> Oh God, yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner is now going to be in it as well. So yeah. forget Oliver Reed. Now we've got Kevin Costner. They could, they could hide the ship underwater anyway. It's not a problem. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Um, but it, I think it was believable that he has this fear, this um, this need to want to be the hero because he's living up to his past family life. From everything we've learned about him from season one, right up to now. As much as the beginning of this episode felt like a reset for him, he was being a bit too nervous and a bit too prim and proper. This at least felt sort of very read. And I was wondering if you felt the same. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's either one thing or another, isn't he? He either, you know, he hates, um, you know, water, but he loves pineapple. Hmm. It's, 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 there's no in between. <laughs> yeah, he does like his, like his pineapple. Yeah, that's very true. Um, He's constantly trying to sabotage everything by uh, cutting out his air tanks and forcing Archer's hand. You know, leave me behind. I'm only one man. He agrees with the Romulans. The Romulans seem to see it that way as well. You know, um, there's loads on your ship. Get rid of this one guy. Get out of our, our territory. Uh, get out of our back garden. Maybe they are Hicks. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's no natural replacement for him, though, is there? I mean, if he said, no, let me go. We've always got um, you know, crewman, ensign or you know, whatever, or lieutenant somebody who's uh he can take my place he's he's a good guy he can do well in this job there's none of that he hasn't got anybody underneath <laughs> him so if he goes there's no security there's no weapons uh, guy there's you know it's, the whole ship would be defenseless I would, I would love it if night shift also have a brit and he loves football he's really personable everybody loves him he's like the brit that everybody really gets along with <laughs> and they really can't wait for reed to actually kind of peg it and just get off the ship because they really yeah. want to hang out with this guy that's right what you didn't see is just next to that panel that the, the mine had stuck itself to was a window and inside was the guy who's the you know, night crew he's just woken up he's up the curtain he's gone let him go let him go cut the panel out <laughs> He's, he's minding it. Just can't. Yeah, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> what was he saying? He's waving his hands. I can't. I can't tell what he's doing. 
God. He agrees with me, Captain. He's British too. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, again, it's ramping up. We get the Romulans are now firing on the Enterprise. You know, keep going. Travis has now got the joystick. He's got another thing to do for the episode. He's now going to steer us out of the minefield. It's yeah. kind of the first time we really see his piloting skills other than pressing a button. Um, how impressive was it? It was nice to see him doing something. It was like watching a video game being played, wasn't it? I mean, you've got the joystick, <laughs> you're going to move out of the way of the mines. Right, okay, I've got it. You know, big screen in front of me. Left a bit, right a bit. Yeah, it was, it was just, like, just like a 1970s arcade game. Have a game over, just flashing up once they actually get out of the minefield. It'd be great. Yeah. Uh, you have done. <laughs> the best way is not to play. Um, <laughs> you see them eating the mines as we go. They've built up something. The green Romulan ship is just following them as well. As they cloak, you just see two white eyes just floating. Archer now has a plan. They can't cut off the panel straight away. But if they delay it, they could then push them off using the momentum. And it kind of felt very heavy science, hard science, that they were waiting for, you know, the natural drift of the mind to get away from them so that they could then pull away. Um, apart from the end part of the plan. So they've jettisoned the, the mine. They're going to detonate it. They're going to use two panels to sort of shield themselves. How that works, I don't know. Um but they gonna they turn round. You don't see them using any kind of jetpacks to steady themselves. And rather than just carrying on spinning round, they miraculously stop at the point the explosion hits the panels and pushes them backwards. Um, how did they do that? I, I have no idea. This is what baffled me. But when I saw it, you, you, you've just seen how much damage one of these mines can do. Mm. And they're using a riot shield against a nuclear bomb. <laughs> yeah. It just makes Tricobalt. No Thermokinetic yeah, device. <laughs> exactly. There I mean, go. we all know how big they are. <laughs> and it was menacing. Yeah, I do like the design of that of that mine. That was very menacing. It did look good. I like the way it attached itself to the to the hull, and then the, you couldn't mm. get it off. You know, it was a magnetic uh, attraction. If you want to use uh, that, that word, but um, yeah, I mean, and then if you tried to cut the leg, the leg could set it off. I mean, that's real sort of. Um, attention to detail there he was putting uh, ignition systems in the in the legs themselves mm. yeah. and given that reed is very trigger happy he could have easily set that off if he wasn't paying attention so. yeah <laughs> but i mean when, the, when they're, you know, they're trying to diffuse it and they've got archers you know he's turning those dials and pushing them in and turn another mm. one or put turn it and pull it out turn it and pull it out and then turn and push them back in the end and then he gets one of them wrong he's, <laughs> no 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 take it back out again take it back out again no, they don't. that's the worst design of all. Once you've done it, it should latch. And if you get it wrong, it goes. What's a, uh, somebody's dropped the, uh, dropped the ball there, haven't they? I mean, they somebody must have got, got sacked in the, uh, in the mine department of, uh, of Romulus. I'm, I'm telling you, these were hick Romulans. These weren't representatives of the Star <laughs> Empire. These were the backwater guys who just bought it. It's Mordecai Rom- Romulan who uh, bought it on the back door of uh, a, a rough Ferengi cruiser that was passing by. It's like, uh, yeah, I'll take a couple of dozen of those. That's fine. So, 
I mean, if anybody's re- read the book, uh, this is a bit niche, but uh, Catch Twenty Two, they'll, they'll understand what I'm saying. But you know, if somebody's not designed the mine properly and it's not gone off at the right time, and then you've let a, a thing get away, you know, it's. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Just on the note, uh, you know how pedantic I like to get. They said, or oh, they argue over ten seconds or twenty seconds. Uh, that this thing was going to detonate so they had enough time um i i did use a stopwatch and <laughs> from the moment i forgot to <laughs> uh, from the moment reed says it's about to detonate so i gave them five extra seconds of leeway it was 34 seconds point 57 <laughs> so they were both wrong just to point <laughs> yeah. just to point it out and that comes to the end of the episode. Uh, Reed is rescued. They're in the shuttle bay and they bring him in and Flox is tending to his leg with the mashed potato and all. That's it. Potato <laughs> Just like it done to his leg. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, anything else about the episode uh, before we do the ratings? Um, uh, I'm sure I had something. Oh, yeah. The, at one point, there were, um, uh, Trip came up with an idea of uh, to rerouting the EPS conduits. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, conduit is a pipe or a tube um <laughs> so to reroute that you'd have to bend it out the way and move it but then you might need more tubes so that's you're gonna have to add to it and go round wherever it's having to reroute that's a big job mm-hmm. that's just not, that's not a small job oh we can just reroute the eps conduit what, 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 what is this eps conduit is it like effluent poo and shit i don't, I don't know what is it it's, <laughs> Is he, is he just trying to get rid of the, the effluent pipes out the way? That's it. I, I mean, maybe there's another crew member that we haven't spoken of before. It's the plumber. It's the yes. one on board who can uh, redo it, called yeah. Mario. Mario. Uh, Mario. <laughs> we were talking about computer games. Mario the plumber. Yes. There we go. <laughs> so, do, 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 yeah. do, do, and just... But who's going to fix this? It's me, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> His brother Luigi's on shift B with uh, the yeah, other brick that everybody shift. gets yeah. on with. So, yeah. <laughs> But the other thing was, is when, when Malcolm volunteers to go and check out the mine originally, um, Archer really doesn't look, you know, he's not happy about it at all. He realises mm-hmm. that he's, he's sending a man to what could be a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, ultimately, almost turns out that it is. Um, so that's probably why he's a bit more concerned about getting Malcolm back in again, because he, he would the guilt he would feel about having sent him out in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would have that would have really affected him. And it's that would fit with his character, yeah. With, yeah. with Shockwave, the, how defeated he was at the beginning of that episode, thinking that they'd blown up the colony. Um, yeah. And, well, uh, yeah. But you remember the, the um, episode of The Next Generation uh, where um, they test Deanna Troy uh, to, to, to get her to become a captain mm. and, or take her next uh, step up? And she has to order Geordie to his death, effectively. And it's all a simulation. Mm-hmm. But and she, first of all, she doesn't do it, and she fails the, the, the test. And then she realizes then that there are some decisions you have to make, and you have to send people to their death sometimes. Uh, and that's part of being a captain. And this is something that Archer doesn't seem to have learned yet. Mm. Yeah, there, there's sometimes you do have to take those big decisions. So it's good to see that he's he's very nervous about sending somebody out to do a job like that, which could ultimately end in the death. Yeah, um, like I say, we're still early in the days of sending, you know, the the uh, the NXO ones or the NXs, you know, out. So um, it's you know, it's good to see that they're not gung ho about you know letting people take their lives. Mm. 
and you know reed is the one who points that out he says it's quite lax on the on the bridge we should just take these risks we should be a bit more uh open to just sending people out onto the the hull of the ship to cut off mines um he seems to be more than okay with that kind of risk um and he's almost educating archer in that respect um as opposed to the other way around mm. hmm. yeah. uh so that's it for the episode. We've located the episode. Uh, next in our ratings criteria is C for consequences. Now, there's no timey-wimey-ness for this, but what's the big consequences for this episode? Oh, not the main consequences. There's a big chunk of a ship missing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, normally, the next week, we move on, uh, and it's all been repaired and done. We've got a new door on the uh, on the shuttle bay or whatever it is that's been you know, crashed into at, the, at that point. Uh, but the, yeah, the consequence is this carries on to the next episode. Mm. Yeah, I I love that idea. And uh, looking into it, I saw that the writers deliberately wanted to do that. They wanted to continue it to answer that criticism that there's the reset button for the ship, something that Voyager had, had really come under fire for quite a few times before. Um, the Romulans, first contact with the Romulans and Starfleet officially um, between the two empires, uh, even if they are maybe not really or they're all Romulans, they're you know, backwater Romulans. I can't think of anything else though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, uh, no, they've been using no, minefields. Much it, really, yeah. That's it. Yeah, there's there's not really any yeah. big consequences. For the characters, they are kind of acting the way we expect them to act. You know, that we don't learn anything new about them. We get a bit more backstory for Reed, but it all plays into things we've known before from season one. Yeah, and it's, and it's revealed in the same way as a previous episode. It's, you know, he, he has to be put in jeopardy, and he has to then spill his guts and say, right, leave me, uh, you know, I'm no longer going to be here, and blah, blah, blah. And, and by the way, my dad hated me, and all, all this type of thing. You know, it, it's, it's the same way of getting stuff out rather than any other way. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a chat in the captain's quarters, maybe, you know, that would have been a way around it but he's not it would have been a lot easier yeah. <laughs> it would have been a lot easier uh, it, maybe if they made a, more of a joke of that as the seasons have gone on you know, once every season we get an episode with Reed he's put into a life or death situation and he just spills his guts to a different member of the crew yeah. and just every, every year it comes round new year so ready for 2153 someone says look I'm not going on any missions with you this year because uh, everyone who's found out about you so far uh, they only found out when you were about to die or someone was going to die with you. So can I not be put with you, please? Uh, uh, consequences are done. So alterations, expansions. Uh, is there anything in this episode you want to see changed or perhaps expanded upon? I can't think of anything, really. Um, I would have liked to have seen, although it, it, it maybe it didn't happen in that, this episode. It might happen in future episodes. I would have liked to have seen Archer and Reed sit down for a breakfast. Uh, mm. just, to fin- just to bring that full circle and, and yes I'm now comfortable because I've told you all this stuff about myself uh, there's only you that knows about it so you know I can feel more comfortable talking to you about it even though you're my captain and I shouldn't be talking to you like this you know it, maybe that just breaks down a little bit of the barriers mm. um, but uh, other, other than that I can't really think of anything else it was a really good episode I really enjoyed it and I, I, I don't really want to change too much hmm Yep, I'm with you. It, it all plays in together. Like I say, the scenes all blend together, so it's quite hard to unpack them separately because if one thing doesn't happen, you don't get the next episode. If Hoshi doesn't um, you know, decipher the language, they don't figure out the Romulan Empire, they don't really go from there. Um, so, yeah, everything kind of leads from one to the next. Um, so uh, we go to R for recommendations. Is this episode an essential part of a Star Trek fan's um, watch-through? 
Yes, I think it is. It's the first time we see the Romulans, so that's always a good thing to, uh, you know, to, to, to say. Um, the uh, you do see a lot of uh, character expansion from Reed. Um, it, it's just you know, and, and also you get to see, uh, you know, Trip working down, you know, down below to try and fix things in the ship, and then the, you know, the sick bay is getting full of people as they're coming in. You realise that you know, it's only a small sick bay after all. It's not a huge place, <laughs> um, so that fills up very quickly. You know, uh, with, with injured people. Um, I think I, it's a good. I think it's a good all round. Uh, episode, and I think yes, I would definitely recommend it to anybody. Uh, mm. Alone, Star Trek fans. Something we said back in uh, Fallen Hero was that we enjoyed that everyone had something to do for the episode, and I think it's the same thing here. Uh, we get uh, great pacing on the characters, we get pacing in the action, everything comes together. Like I say, uh, Travis has something to do, so everybody, everybody got something. That's right. Uh, yeah, even Hoshi, Hoshi was, you know, she was quite easily could have been written out the episode by being in sickbay all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, she's still unconscious, you know, but no, she, like I say, she had something to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was seeing every um, department busying themselves and trying to fix things when there was a, you know, when we have this issue that we've lost a part of the ship and everybody's galvanized into action and we're getting everybody working together. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really, really good uh, team effort from, um, you know, from the whole crew. Absolutely. It's very tricky. And in that vein, do we then recommend to non-Star Trek fans in, say, the brainwashing kit to bring them in to trek them? Yes, I would, because I think there's enough uh, enough there to get people in and, and uh, you find out a bit more about one of the characters. And like I say, everybody's got a part, so you get to see every character and what they do and, and how they do it um, mm. and how everybody comes together like they should in a, in a proper Star Trek episode. They all help each other as best they can and uh, they're all working to the common goal and they all get on with each other. Yeah, I like it. Mm. The only thing I had counting against it is they might give unrealistic expectations to someone coming new, thinking that Travis has more to do. <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's the, one, it's the first episode in at least four episodes where he had a specific role. And uh, even in the bits that were about him, he wasn't written out of this episode. So yeah. it was not that, oh, Travis is flying us out the minefield. We don't even have a cut scene to it. Uh, you know, just like they did in Two Nights and Two Days where he went rock climbing and when we never saw him for the entire episode. <laughs> there we go. Um, that's it. Uh, that's it for minefield. Uh, we have cleared the minefield. It is over. It is explosive. It is gone boom. Thank you very much, Paul. Um, again, for the listeners, just remind them where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on the uh, Cosmic Pizza podcast, the Epsilon 3 podcast, which is a, a Babylon 5 review uh, podcast. Each week we put out new episodes of uh, our reviews and our thoughts on the Babylon 5 1990s TV series. Um, Cosmic Pizza, we just talk about anything and everything, um, and generally do. Uh, uh, but also, both of those podcasts have Facebook pages, which you can find us on, on there. Just search in, in Facebook for uh, Cosmic Pizza Podcast or The Epsilon 3. Excellent. And I've shared a couple of those to The Temple Trek. So if you can't find it through that search, you can find it through The Temple Trek. And we're all sort of, you know, inter, interbreeding, inter, oh, interweaving yes. with all of our, our social medias. So it's all overlapped. Uh, uh, so that's what the bed's so. for in the, in the ready room at the, the side here. Oh, I didn't explain that bit, did I? Ah, room, yeah, yeah. I thought that was just so that I could I could sleep overnight and then come back tomorrow for the next episode. <laughs> you see, continuity. I should pay more attention to my own podcast. Mm. I should think about telling you before you see it. All right, okay. Mm. I'll make a note of that. I'll make a note of that. Um, 
that's it really so all that remains is the last criteria for the episode and that is the setup for the next week so join us next time where i will hopefully have another guest uh simon foster who uh, some people might know from uh trek mate uh, back in the trek mate days he used to comment as well so he's going to be on for dead stop or part two of the battle damage two-parter as i'm sort of spinning it in temple trek so join us for season three episode 30 of the podcast season two episode three dead stop at zero minutes and zero seconds as always thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next time stream i hope you've enjoyed the show please remember to like subscribe and review wherever you listen to it if you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback you can contact me by either searching for the temple trick podcast facebook page or find me on twitter at rider underscore coattail also search the temple trick podcast you can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore writer. Scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at Free Music Archive. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.